Hi, my name is Jonathan McMeans, and I am one of the pastors here at Heights Baptist Church in Alvin. Wanted to let you know that we are so glad that you found our content online, and we hope that you're blessed by it. But if you're a guest with us, one of the ways that you could let us know that you were here is by filling out the digital connect card that is at heightschurch.org connect or by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you. I wanted to let you know also that you could join us in person every Sunday at 9 or 1030. And also that content is available live on YouTube and Facebook. We're really glad that you found You've us. Got a Bible. Let's stand together. I'm going to read all of chapter 5 this morning. And if you are new with us uh, today, we do this to honor the reading of God's word. Picking up in chapter 5, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Verse 3, he says, For though absent in the body, I'm present in the spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Verse 6 says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, you, as you are really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Verse 80 says, Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in verse 9, he says, in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greeters and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Verse 12, he ends, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those who are outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let's pray together. Father God, as we have sang this morning, we are desperately in need of you. Father, because there are times we see our sin more than we see our Savior Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you will open our eyes and our minds to be able to rightly see who Christ is in our lives. Father, I thank you that this past week we've been able to remember and honor the men and women in our military that paid the ultimate sacrifice to be able to allow us to have the freedoms in which we have each and every day. And Lord, thank you for this week that we've been able uh, to remember that with Memorial Day. And Father, I pray today that we remember who Christ is, what Christ has done, and how he has freed us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin. And Father, we look forward to one day in heaven, the presence of sin for all of eternity. 
Father, help us during this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, this morning we are continuing our series through the the book of 1 Corinthians under this first section called A Beautiful Mess. And why we called it a beautiful mess is because back in chapter 1, in verse 10, as Paul is talking, he, is, he used a term. And he told them that as believers in Jesus Christ, that they are sanctified. Now, when you place your faith and your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, and you say, okay, I'm trusting in Jesus as my Savior, and I'm turning from my sin, and I'm trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection to forgive me of my sin, then the Bible says you are saved. You are sanctified. That means you are set apart from sin unto God. Now, that means positionally right now, that's how God sees you as a son or, a, or one of his daughters. He sees you beautiful because the Bible would say he sees you right now like he sees you, his son, Jesus. You are sanctified. You are beautiful positionally right now before God because of what Christ has done in your life. But we know practically every day, guess what? We're a mess, right? We still have sins that we struggle with. We still struggle with anger and jealousy and lust and pride and greed and, and all those things that we struggle with. So there's that process now where we are being sanctified. And so that's called what we call progressive sanctification, where we are being made to be more and more like Jesus Christ every day. So even though we are beautiful in God's eyes, on an everyday level, we are still very messy, and we're trying to learn that, that process of becoming more and more like Christ. As our faith grows as believers in Jesus Christ, we are being, being more and more like Christ. We are being sanctified progressively. And so Paul, through the letters so far as he's writing to this church, is pointing out often a problem, and then he gives them a solution. And so the problem that I've already read you should have picked up on was that there is an open known sin among the church. And so this was somebody that was engaged in something they should not have been, that people knew that, that even the culture around them knew that, and the person was saying, no, I don't, I don't care what you say, I'm not turning from it, I'm not really trusting Christ to forgive me on this, this is my life, I'm going to do what I want to do with it. And so Paul says that's a problem as a believer, that sin is when our lives don't match up to God's word, that we should turn from that and turn back to God. But this person wasn't doing that. So Paul says, here's the solution. You remove them. You put them out. What we would call church discipline. And we're going to unpack this a little bit. But here's what I want you to get this morning. Here's what I want you to really get in your head and in your heart and put it into practice. That as believers in Jesus Christ, each one of us should help others love Jesus more than they love their sin. Right? That's the heart of what Paul's saying. We help people love Jesus more than they love their sin. That's what Paul's really getting at in all of this. And that's what all of us ought to be able to do, is to come alongside of people and say, listen, we want to teach you how to love Jesus more than you love that sin 
in your life. So let's pick up in verse 1, and we see that this problem is right here. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Now that actually reported can translate out, it's widely known. All right, so this is nothing that is secret. Again, this is known among the people within the church. It's widely reported. Probably people outside the church know what's happening. And he says it's widely known there is sexual immorality among you. Now, usually when Paul's using that term, it's going to speak to a general uh, sexual immorality term. It's actually a term in which we get our word pornography from in our language. But he's giving us the actual specific sin at the end of verse 1, he says that this man has his father's wife. So this is a case of incest. But the way it's written in the Greek is it's not just a one-time affair. This is an ongoing practice that this man is engaged in. And so again, it's an open, known sin that the person is not turning from the person is not repenting of and trusting Christ in. And Paul says this is a problem. Do you notice even in verse 1, he slipped in, this is not even tolerated among the pagans. <laughs> so he's saying, hey, even the non-Christian culture says, whoa, we don't do this. right? And it's interesting because Cicero, one of the Roman philosophers of the time, in one of his documents writes on this, and he says that even the Roman culture at this time would have said, this is bad. And so even a culture around them says, no. But yet within the church, they're saying, okay, that's not that bad. Because did you notice their response? Paul says, why are you being arrogant about this? Why are you rejoicing in this sin? Why are you not mourning over this? Why would they do that? Why do now... A lot of churches and a lot of Christians just sometimes go, well, let's just be accepting of all lifestyles. Let, let's just bring everybody in and just not put up any clear moral boundaries. Why do Christians sometimes now, like there, go, whoa, 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 who, who are we to say what's right and wrong? I mean, that's that person's life. Let them decide. Maybe within this church, this was a big tither. Maybe it was a person of influence. And the church was like, well, no, no, we can't, we can't deal with this because we don't want to lose them. We don't want to lose that tithe or we don't want to lose that influence within our church. But what should be the proper response? The proper response should be we should mourn this action. We should help this person understand what they're doing is contrary to God's word because we ought to be people who teach people to love Jesus more than they love their own sin. And so Paul says, there's the problem, but here's the solution. The end of verse 2. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And drop down to verse 4. As he says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord. Okay, so when he's talking about when you're assembled in the name of the Lord, when you guys get together for worship services, whether you come at 9 or whether you come at 10.30, when you are assembled and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, notice verse 5, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And so Paul says, here's the solution. 
if you have a person that's engaged in an open, known sin that they are not repenting of, that they're not recognizing as sin, they're saying, I'm not going to call it sin, I'm not turning away from it, you can tell me all you want, but who are you to say that? If that's that person, then Paul's saying you have to remove them from the fellowship. You have to, at that point, kind of turn them over to Satan. This is what we would call church discipline. Now, let's talk about how this works a little bit, all right? And, and I'm going to kind of, because of time's sake, because you guys have life groups and other things this morning, I can't get as deep into this as, as, I, as I possibly would want to. So what Pastor Matt and I did for our podcast this week is we sat down and we took this passage and we talked at it at a deeper level than what I can right now. And so we did about a 30-minute episode on just this topic and how Matthew 18 works. So that's going to come out on Wednesday. So if you listen to podcasts on your phone, you can find it there on that podcast app or at our Heights YouTube page, uh, and you can watch that. And we're going to kind of unpack at a deeper level what I'm about to hit with you here as in this morning. But this is how this works. Again, it's an open, known sin the person is not repenting of. So then after several, several, several private conversations that you may have with the person. And that's the key thing. Matthew 18, Jesus goes over this in verses 15 through 17, this process that you go to the person first. So it always starts privately in those conversations before it ever goes publicly. Okay. So it's not something where you say, hey, Steve, man, you know what Bob's doing? Like, have you heard about that? Hey, Martha, you heard about Jane? Right? It's none of that. It's you going to the person because you know of it, and you're helping them try to love Jesus more than they love their sin. So you're going to them, you've talked to them, you've prayed with them, you've shown them scripture, you're encouraging them to turn from it, you encourage them to turn from their sin. If they're still saying, no, 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 I don't want to do that, then the next step is you can come talk to church leadership. Church leadership will go. Same thing, private conversations, private conversations. We're trying to help you love Jesus more than you love your own sin. We're asking you to turn from it. We're encouraging you to turn from it. We're begging you to turn from it. If you don't turn from it, after several several attempts. Then Paul says you have to bring it to the church. And that's where verse 5 is. Now when he means church, he means congregation. And this is one of the reasons we have church membership. Because at this point in time, it would be a congregational decision whether to remove the person from taking the Lord's Supper or removing the person's membership. Now, can they still come on a Sunday morning? Yep, you know why? Because we are a hospital for the sick, right? We're not a hotel for the saints. We're a hospital for sinners. We all have our things. We're still a beautiful mess, right? But that person at that point is acting like a non-Christian. Therefore, we have to treat them that way. And Lord's Supper is something for believers in Jesus to take. Church membership is for believers in Jesus, so if they're acting like a non-Christian, Paul's saying we have to treat them that way. And the reason that happens is because you want to deliver almost such a shock to the system 
that they will then see their sin for what it is, sin. They'll see the beauty and the glory of Jesus, and they'll turn back to him and learn to love Jesus more than they love their sin. Now, when that happens, we restore them because it's all about restoration. That's what Paul's getting at. Look at the end of verse 5. He says that their spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. All of this process is about restoration. We see a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ going away they should not be going. And we lovingly, with grace, with care, have these hard conversations to say, we want to restore you back to where you need to be in God's grace. We want to bring you back. Now, for some of you, though, you might have heard what I just went over, and you think it's incredibly unloving. Some of them, you might think, if this is Christianity, nope. If this is church, I don't want any part of it. That's unloving for you to say. That's uncaring. Who in the world are we to tell anybody else what to do? Let me help you out maybe thinking about it this way. If I was driving down your street tonight, and your car was in your driveway, and it's late, and it's dark, and I notice your roof is on fire. Now, your, your house is on fire at the moment, but I don't see you standing in the street. That means you're still in that house. It is unloving of me to keep driving without telling you your house is on fire. The loving action is to do everything I've got to do to get you out of the burning house. That's what Paul's saying. That's what this is. Helping people who are trapped loving their sin more than loving Jesus to learn to love Jesus. And we do what we have to do in order to make that happen. Because notice not only is the person here involved in this, but it's the church. Look in verses 6 through 8. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? It says in verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleaven of bread and sincerity and truth. So Paul's saying in verse 6, this action affects the church. When sin is going unchecked, when sin is just openly running rampant and people know about it, it's hurting the whole church. A little leaven is leavening the whole lump. I mean, think about it this way. Satan would want just a little leaven in a church more than a whole dump of low out in the world. Because sin within a church can spread like cancer. And it can affect the whole body. So you and I have to remember we are connected as a family in Christ Jesus. And what you do affects me. What I do affects you. What we all do affects the witness of Jesus Christ. You know, I was a high school basketball coach for 10 years uh, before I got into ministry. And I'm going to tell you this story, and some of you are going to think I'm really mean, but that's okay. But I would tell my teammates that I was coaching and the players often that when you put on your jersey and your school's name is across that jersey, you represent the team. 
You represent the school. You're more than just your own self at this moment. So when you're out and about and you're wearing maybe a, a school's t-shirt or you're wearing that jersey in that game, that means you're part of a team. You're not just one player. I had one player one time steal food from the cafeteria, and he got caught. I found out about it. Principal said, what do you want to do? I said, don't worry, I'll handle it. So that day at practice, I called the team together. I said, most of you know what Steve did. I won't tell his real name in case he's watching the podcast or is in therapy for this punishment I handed out to him. <clears throat> but I said, you know what Steve did? He stole food from the cafeteria, and we don't do that. And we're not going to do that because this is our team, and we do things right. But as I have told you more and more and over and over, what one of you does affects all of us. So you all have 50 laps around the gym when I blow my whistle. Steve is going to stand there and watch you run all 50 laps. So I made the team run, but he didn't run. Now, some of you think right there, I'm really, really mean, because you know why Steve may be in therapy right now? Because the whole time he's like, coach, let me run, let me run, let me run, let me run, let me run. Nope. You watch how your actions affect everyone. And that's what Paul's saying. That's the importance of this. Because what's happening in the church right now in our country is Christians want to be so shocked at what a lost world does, but we want to turn a blind eye to our own sin. Why in the world are we shocked when a world that doesn't know Jesus acts like a world that doesn't know Jesus, but yet when we gather, we're not shocked over things that we do that goes unconfessed. A little leaven can leaven the whole lump. So this process, it's not easy. It's done with mourning. It's done with grace. It's done with love. Because we want the person to learn to love Jesus more than they love their sin. And Paul's saying, here's again how this process works. Pick back up in verse 9 with me. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world. Or the greedy. Or the swindlers. Or the idolaters. Since you would need to go out of the world. Verse 11, I'm writing to you that you not associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother, a Christian, if he's guilty of these things. So Paul's saying this, if you have someone who says they're a Christian, but it's an open known sin that they are not repenting of, then the relationship has to change. You at some point have to treat them differently. You have to put up some parameters, some guardrails to say we cannot have fellowship the same way right now until you make this right with the Lord. And so that's where he says maybe you have to remove them from the Lord's Supper for a time. Remove their church membership for a time. Why? Because again, those are things for Christians and this person's not acting like that right now. And you've tried and you've tried and you've tried to help them love Jesus more than they love their sin, but it's not clicking at the moment. But Paul says, don't pull back from the world. Did you notice that? He says, in order to win people for Christ, 
You have to know people who need Christ. So he's saying we're not withdrawing from the world. We're not pulling away from them and just isolating ourselves because we have this commission and command of Jesus to go out into the world. Jesus says go out in the world and make disciples. Right? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're sent people out in the world as he sent Christ. And so in order to win people for Jesus, we have to know people for Christ. That's why we say here to have a four-by-four plan. Our four-by-four plan is pretty easy to understand. Find four people you know in your life that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Pray for them four times a week. Constantly praying that they'll come to know Christ as their Savior. Have four parties with them a year. All right, we're, we're getting past COVID things so we can get back together more. Right? So you're going out to coffee with them. Maybe you got a birthday party. You're going to their house. You're inviting them over for a meal. Why? To build relationships, to have gospel conversations with them, to share the gospel. We do this all for Christ. All right, so it's four people, four parties, four prayers, four Jesus. Right? If you don't know four, you know two, great. You got a two by two. Right? You know one, I got a one by one, a three, three by three, ten, ten by ten. I mean, go nuts on that thing, right? Because our goal is to win people for Jesus. And so Paul says, if that's going to happen, you can't pull away from the world. No, we're in the world. But if there's this situation where it's a person who has an open known sin, then they're not repenting of. We've got to help them love Jesus more than they love their sin in that moment. And Paul says it this way, verse 12. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Hey, that's, that's not our job as believers. We're not judging the outsiders of the world. They're, they're lost. We know they're lost. They're acting that way. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So his principle at the end of the, the passage is very easy to understand. You let God take care of those that are on the outside. We as believers in Jesus Christ, we're commissioned to take care of the people on the inside of the church. And so, therefore, we help each other love Jesus more than they love their sins. You know, this morning, how do we do this? How do we help people with this? Let me give you a couple other practical ways. And then, again, I'm going to point you to the podcast for a deeper discussion. We help people love Jesus more than they love their sin. We approach people in this manner with grace and love. Okay, so if you have to have this conversation with someone, you approach them with grace and love. I love what Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 talks about, that when we see another brother or sister that's trapped in a sin, all right, so they're loving that sin more than Jesus, it's unconfessed, we approach them because they're taken over by that, but we approach them with grace and love. And look at that, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. All right, so don't take, go and keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. So go back one there, Walt, for me. Uh, put Galatians, yeah, so look at that where it says you who are spiritual. That doesn't mean you are super Christian. That just means you're saying, look, I'm seeing this in your life. And the Bible says it's wrong. And I'm coming to you because I care about you and I love you. And yes, I still have my own dealings that I'm working out in my own heart. But right now, this has your attention and your affection, and I want to help you get rid of that, and I want to help you love Jesus more. All right, so we, we start with grace and love. Secondly, you speak privately to the person before going to others. 
All right, so I, I love the way Pastor Matt's going to describe this on the podcast for you this week. You start with a small circle. That's just you and that person. And you talk with them and pray with them. And it's more than just one conversation, okay? So when you read Matthew chapter 18 and verses 15 through 17, it's not just one, two, three. I mean, you are spending time helping them as much as you can help them. And you start that circle small before you have to expand that circle to anyone else. So you start privately before you ever go publicly. And then finally, always keep the goal of restoration of their faith. The goal of this is to restore their faith in Christ. I love what 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5 says. Let's look at that together. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Look at that verse with me. Isn't that a great way to pray for each other? Think about that. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. If you think someday, it's like, man, I don't know how to pray for that person. Pray that verse. Right? Lord, I want them to love you with all their heart and their soul and their mind and see the steadfastness of Jesus in the situation they're in. So, Lord, I, I want to see them love you more than they love their sin. You know, for some of you, you still might think that this can be unloving. And you're sitting there thinking, I don't know about this. This just seems pretty uncaring and, and just not a loving thing to do. Let me explain it this way one final time. Some of you are on a train track this morning. And the train of God's judgment is coming your way. And there you stand on the track. And God's judgment train is coming. It is unloving for anyone to look at that and not say, get off the track. It is loving to say, the train of judgment is coming. Get off the track. Get off the track. That is the loving thing to do in each other's lives. When we see someone on that track and God's judgment train coming right at them to help them get off the track. And that is what the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That Christ Jesus left heaven in all of his glory. And Christ came into this very broken, messed up world. And he was betrayed for you. He was tempted in all points with sin, but yet never sinned. The Bible said he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that means when he died on the cross that God put all of our sin upon Jesus. And on the cross, he became sin for us. He took all of that wrath for us. And when they put him in a tomb, they thought Satan won. Satan thought evil has won the day. But three days later, Jesus rose again. And because he rose again, now he stands victorious. And now he has the ability to be able to forgive anyone who comes to him by faith. To forgive you of your past, present, and future sin. To restore you now to God in a relationship that lasts forever. That is the beauty of what Christ Jesus has done. Because God loves you. The Bible says in Romans 5.8, he loves you and demonstrates that love toward you. That while you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. And you and I 
are to help each other love Jesus more than we love our sin because of the wonderful work he has done for us. So I'm going to invite you to bow in prayer right where you are. Those of you that are at home worshiping with us this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray along with us. Maybe this morning today, there is something that you need to confess. Now's the time to do it. Now is the time to get off that train track. We are calling you and encouraging you that if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make today the day you do that. You can do that in your home right where you are. You can do it right now in this worship center. You can do it at your seat. You can come forward in a moment and talk with someone. But today, place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Maybe there is a sin in your life today that you need to confess before the Lord. You say, right now, God, this is getting my attention. It's getting my praise. It's getting my time. It is eating me up from the inside because I know that it's not what honors you. The good news of the gospel is that when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Today, you confess that unto the Lord. Maybe right now, as we sing in a moment, you want to pray for somebody. There is a child, a grandchild, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone you care deeply about that you see right now loving their sin more than they love Jesus. To pray for them today. Go to the Heavenly Father and intercede on their behalf, asking God to work in their lives and show them the beauty and the glory of what Christ has done. Father, I pray this morning that as we sing and we continue to worship, that we will respond to you in the manner and the way you are calling us to respond. Lord, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit has been at work in this room, maybe convicting us of something, maybe encouraging those that need encouragement today. And Father, I pray this morning for those that are hurting, that Lord, you will heal them. Lord, the discouraged, you will encourage them. But Father, for those that are turning a blind eye into their sin, I pray out of all love and grace that you will convict them and you will show them the beauty and the glory of Jesus and how much more beautiful he is than that sin they're engaged in. And then at this time, they will come to Christ. At this time, they will be restored back into the faith they have. Lord, we ask for you to do this work. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.